Laurel Erica is back on the podcast with a live show from Arcadia, further sharing the magic of the English language, the spells that are contained within our spelling. And it's so beautiful to have these conversations with her because it illuminates all of the secret codes that we speak without even being aware and we receive without being aware and the infinite possibilities that come from understanding the power of language. So without further ado, a new podcast with Laurel Erica. And now a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Bond Charge. Now Bond Charge pairs incredibly well with the Edge Theory Labs tub because Bond Charge is a sauna blanket. So if you want to talk about portability, right? Like we're not always going to be able to have our barrel sauna or be able to stop by our local hot cold facility. But if you get the Bond Charge sauna blanket, then you're going to be getting a lot of the benefits of a sauna, but you can do it wherever you want. You can put a towel down on your couch, put this blanket over you, and you'll create your own little sauna. So this is one of the other incredible benefits besides cold is obviously heat. It's great for detoxification. It's great to get that sweat. I mean, sweat is one of the detox pathways for the body. So how you eliminate. And for some of us, we need to eliminate a little more than others. For me, especially coming off of the Arcadia Festival, I could really use a little more detoxification. And Bond Charge is just a great solution. If you're looking at calories, you can burn up to 600 calories. And again, like I said, just sweating is going to help you universally to flush out anything and help you feel refreshed. So it's super easy to set up. It heats rapidly. It's super portable. And you can really do it anywhere. It's designed in Australia, easy to clean and wipe down. And compared to a lot of the other brands that might be out there, this has lower EMF. So you're going to be just getting a lot more of the benefits without a lot of the cost. So this is something that I highly recommend, both heat and cold. These are things that our body is built to thrive when we get access to these different temperature fluctuations. And Bond Charge is a fantastic solution. So go to bondcharge.com slash amp. That's B-O-N charge.com slash amp and use the coupon code amp to save 15%, which is $140 off your very own sauna blanket. Bondcharge.com slash amp. Next up, we have mud water. Now, you guys have probably heard me talk about Mudwater for the past few years. And recently, I actually got to meet in person the founder, Shane Heath, an amazing human being who makes an amazing product that I still use all the time. Now, how do I use it? Well, Mudwater's a coffee alternative. It has a bit of the caffeine that comes from the tea, but it also has a bunch of functional mushrooms and a bunch of different other goodies like cacao and all these delicious things without all of the sweeteners that you find in a lot of these different mixes as well. So what I do in the morning is I put in a little ghee, I put in a little cashew butter, I sprinkle in some mud water, I add my favorite protein, I blend it up, and it has become the famous Aubrey morning drink. And they also have non-caffeinated versions, which has become the famous Aubrey evening drink. 
mud water is a part of my life and it's a part of my life for a good reason. It's just a great product. It's Whole30 approved, 100% USDA certified. It's Whole30 approved, 100% USDA certified organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, kosher, and it's awesome. And also Mudwater donates monthly to support psychedelic research and it has since day one. Mudwaters are people and Mudwaters a drink that I love and it follows me around everywhere along with their cool little frother blender thing when I don't have a blender available. And you can get that along with samples of their coconut creamer and sweetener if you go to mudwater.com slash amp. Now you spell that M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash A-M-P. Once again, once again, M-U-D-W-T-R dot com slash amp. And on that link, you'll get all the samples and your frother for free. So go to mudwater.com slash amp. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Laurel Erica. How are you guys feeling today? Good. Wow, what a ride. What a journey we've been on so far. Today's going to be a really, really sweet, sweet, sweet day. Today's a day for sweet medicine. To leave the aftertaste feeling so sweet and nourishing from what we've experienced in all frequencies and all dimensions during this time here. So thank you guys. Thank you guys for showing up and being the bright lights and spreading your love around this festival. That's what really makes it work. All of you showing up with your with your hearts blasted open and allowing yourself to experience the full spectrum of what it means to be alive. So thank you guys. All right. So here we are again. And uh, I want to start this with a quote. And this is a quote from your beautiful little book here, Gifts of Presence. It's brand new, hot off the press. Just picked it up from the printer two, yeah. two three days ago. So Ilya Prigogine was a Nobel Prize winner for chemistry in 1977. And that was for his contributions to non-equilibrium thermodynamics. I don't know what the fuck that is. Sounds impressive. But he says, when a complex system is far from equilibrium, small islands of coherence in a sea of chaos have the capacity to shift the entire system to a higher order. And that's kind of what we're doing here, all of us, is to try and create small islands of coherence. Small islands of coherence. Little places where people can look and say, ah, sanity, coherence, beauty, love, truth. Eros. It lives here. It's alive. And that's what we've been doing. So, And that's what we'll continue to do. And one of the beautiful things about you and the work that you offer, the art, the gift that you offer, is to help us understand actually the coding language for our minds the coding language for our thoughts. Because we don't think 
abstractly. We often think in words. So literally all of our coding is our language, are the words that we use. And there's subtly imprinted elements of these words that through our non-conscious mind, through our processing, we're actually casting different spells and using different code, trying to create a desired outcome, but unaware of what we're actually creating. And you've really helped illuminate, oh wow, there's latent aspects of the code, and if we use the code in the right way, it will flower and blossom our life. And if we're careless with our code, we'll use words that are actually doing something that we don't intend, but be an unintended consequence of our coding language. Yes, this is true. And there's research being conducted in Russia um, where linguists are being paired with geneticists to be able to change DNA through words alone. And Greg Braden has a wonderful piece on Gaia about language and the matrix and how our words wire up our brain and our access to the matrix, to the, to the source field from which we derive. So I'm just looking at where to begin. And I, how many people are familiar with the YouTube I posted in 2010 called The Secret Spells of the English Language? that familiar to most? Okay, it's not. <laughs> so I want to share that. But first, um, yesterday in the Q&A with Aubrey, somebody asked you how you start your day. So I want to share what one of the things that I do, one of the prayers that I play with, and that you might all enjoy. So I'll say it in the first person, but really it's for all of us together, which is that we open, that's third person, we open to the highest frequencies of infinite divine love intelligence flowing to us and through us, embodying in us and as us, harmonizing every wave and particle, atom and molecule, cell and tissue, organ and system on all dimensions of existence. So only that which is on the freest frequencies of infinite divine creativity and love may come to us and through us, co-create with us, radiate through us, emanate from us, and communicate as us in ways that are catalytic to the elevation and acceleration of consciousness globally. So that's the intention that... Thank you. Mm. I have a reactive body. When she's shocked or touched, she demonstrates it, and I have to let the waves ride through. So, 
here is the here is the premier life sentence that I posted on 2010, calling it the secret spells of the English language. It's very simple and recognizable. We awake each morning and go off during the weekdays to earn our living at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And everyone agrees that it, this is the way of things. Only more people die of heart failure between 6 and 10 a.m. Monday morning than any other time of the week. And I explain that what I do is a translation of the English language. And I spell that T-R-A-N-C-E with the idea that words cast spells. And when you translate that life sentence, you realize that awake is a funeral party for the dead. And that mourning is the state we're in when we attend awake. So when we exchange the friendly greeting with each other, good morning, on a subliminal level, we're also saying good grief. And by the way, I forgot to mention that more people die between 6 and 10 a.m. Monday morning of heart failure than any other time of the week. And I heard that first from Deepak Chopra and corroborated it with other medical people I personally know. So we go off during the weekdays. <laughs> and in a weekdays, that's sort of the state of a zombie. So no wonder we are fascinated by zombies because they are us <laughs> uh, when we're sleeping through this waking dream. So we earn our, our living yet the urns are for the ashes of the dead. We earn our living at various jobs and undertakings. Undertaking is also what entrepreneur means, and job is a Hebrew word for persecuted, as Job. And, and as a friend of mine once said, we don't make this stuff up. And what we get at the end of this perverse bargain with life is progressively weakened. So we say to someone, have a good weekend. And how could we not when the day after Friday, Friday, is Saturday. Now, whether it's... <laughs> we don't catch a break here at all. Um, Sunday, Sunday may be to worship the sun or um, uh, to, what is it, to, to lay out in the sun, be a sun worshiper in one form or another. And then it all repeats again. And speaking of sun, I believe those two words are misspelled, that S-O-N which currently represents your male child, that should be the sun in the sky because you have that nice round orb in the center. And then S-U-N, which has represented the sun in the sky, should be your male child because the U 
He's part of you, and that you is also a chalice for the divine energy, the life force that invests itself in each one of us. So just to finish off that life sentence, which I am sure you will agree sounds a lot more like a death sentence. It's, this is very much a death cult, and the difference between a cult and a culture is the same difference as between those two words. Size. So we're in a death culture, and it practices death at every waking opportunity. So now you know I can just keep going. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. It seems like what you're saying, I can, I can see how it's built into the structural coding of our belief systems. We come as Protestant settlers here in America, and this is the culture that it comes from. Religion has spread, especially the Abrahamic religions, and there's other religions and other ways of thinking and other ways of being. But there is the famous line, on the seventh day God rested. So this idea, no, work, toil, suffer, work, toil, suffer, work, and then finally, one day out of the seven, you get to rest. Now, that is a very convenient way to get a bunch of laborers to struggle and work for you and create and build something, whether it's a pyramid or a corporation or whatever you want, or the size of a giant cathedral is work, labor, work, pay your taxes, pay your taxes, pay your taxes. We'll give you one day of rest just like God, because we are, they say we are made in God's image. So this is the model. If that's God, that God rests one day out of the week, then so too, why would it need to be any different for us? And so this is built in to like the core structure, and then language then naturally finds its way through the ease of gravity, like water finds its way through the soft points eventually leading to the ocean. It finds its own way. Language has found its way to actually match this original idea that was implanted and carefully constructed in the Council of Nicaea. Carefully constructed. Let's take this parts of the book out. Let's leave these parts of the book in. And let's make this a universal culture of empire, which is, as you say, a culture of death and dying rather than a culture of life and living. Which is not to say that there is no pain, no suffering, no grief, no struggle, no strife, no need for work in this world. But I think what we're all imagining in a more beautiful world is a way that life can be a part of every aspect, even aliveness in the pain, aliveness in the work, aliveness in the suffering. But first we have to understand and get perspective on the structural coding of our own minds, culture, and language that follows that structural coding. Yes. <laughs> that brought up a lot. So years ago, I read that um, offering 
the peasants more money, didn't get more work out of them because they'd rather own their own time. And so they created the Protestant ethic and made all of this labor for the Lord um, worthy of your entrance to heaven. So it was what I heard called the pay now, fly later plan. <laughs> so let me see. You brought up so many things, and I meant to bring up a pad so I could make note of what I wanted to respond to, all of it. But let me go within and see where. So I don't, a lot of people, when they hear that life sentence, the first question is, who did this to us? And certainly, there are elements that were done to us, and we are witnessing the constant manipulation of language to try and make things to reverse reality. And so that happens, but I think, uh, as I, I have a little um, addendum to that life sentence when you look for it on YouTube, and it goes that words are electromagnetic vibrations whose fine alphabetic tintinabulations can take on the tint of our true expectations, which they then imprint on our metal of mind, causing sounds to adhere when they're of the same kind. So I think some is just a, an electropoetic gravitational um, slide into the same vibration. And we have been so trained to look at what does a word mean without looking at what does the word mean mean. And, <laughs> and it means stingy, shabby, cruel, and average, among other things. So... The other way we can say, well, if I don't want to say what does it mean, well, what's its definition? Well, we have been deafened to definitions because we don't, because we use the word sound to mean integrity, strength, validity, and solidity, but act as if word sounds had no such validity. So we are clearly not of sound mind because we are deaf to the multiple vibrations in a single sound. We've looked at synonyms, which are words that um, are very different in sound and possibly origin, but mean essentially the same thing. But rarely do we look at homonyms. Homonym, homonym, same name. So these are words that seem completely unrelated, yet share the same sound. Now, why would that be? Well, it's dismissed as a coincidence, and as we discussed last time, that means a coincidence. Well, what magnetic force caused these two disparate elements to coincide? We have used coincidence to mean insignificance, but hardly is that true. And I like to point out that we are oblivious to the obvious Sherlock Holmes pointed it out. He said the world is filled with obvious things which nobody happens to notice. And so it's, 
it's very good to begin to notice what sounds are riding on a single, what meanings are riding on a sound, and why it is. <laughs> I mean, we were, what can I say, censored for suggesting that the Wuhan lab of virology could have been the origin of COVID-19. I mean, ignore the obvious. <laughs> Don't look there. Excuse me. So, English words emerge at the convergence of consciousness and culture. So you have some words that reflect the culture that was dominant when English was in formation, like from multiple streams of consciousness coming in to one body of communication called English, but evidently sounding very different depending on what shire you came from because of all the, the conquerors of this little island and all those people that were conquered by the seafaring people from England. So many, many languages. And I learned once that the first English printer, I think in the 16th century or 15th, William Caxton said that speakers of English are as if living under the domination of the moon. And what he evidently meant was because it was so malleable and so different from one place to the next. But all of us, in a certain sense, are living under the domination of the moon its uh, electromagnetic pull on the tides and on the tides of our own body affect us all. So I believe, because this language is a, a, the global language, and it is filled with these symbols and sounds that are conveying all sorts of messages that mostly escape our notice, and that we can look upon it as software and the leading software of the Western mind and collectively, creatively upgrade it to a freer frequency and thereby turn the tide on the global sea of consciousness, S-E-E. -E. If you look at the word word and you simply add the letter L, <laughs> the sound of which is an abbreviated form of God in Hebrew, you see that the word creates the world. And we have the power of the word on the tips of our tongue and fingers. And we can get very creative. We can open to those freer frequencies with the intention of, of being gifted with semantic revelations in which we find, um, which we recognize the messages in words and we contribute new words that can inspire higher consciousness. So. So for those of you who heard my opening speech at the stage here at Arcadia, I talked about the word compersion, compersion. 
And that word was actually brought down from the field. It didn't come from any etymology. They, they used the Karistan community group of women used the Ouija board to actually find a word for feeling pleasure for somebody else's pleasure. And it was in the context of a polyamorous community where they were feeling pleasure for their lovers, they're having pleasure. They were in the desire field. They desired the desire of another and they were able to ride that wave. And then, you know, listening to you talk, I think about that word that was downloaded let's just assume that it was downloaded in a pure frequency from the world, right? From the source field itself. This is the word that we want to birth into the spelling of the language. But what is that word? Come. Zen. So, come, we know what that is. Per, we know what that, these are words for pleasure. It's the ecstatic, it's the ecstatic moment of opening, and then it's the purring, gentle pleasure of like a snuggle. And then one thing that I've found about this particular sound, and this came to me in a, in a very like kind of deep, deep journey moment, is the word or that sound, like wizard, wizard. When you make that sound, it's a magical tone, and that's altering that's altering the alchemical nature of some wizard It's like altering the frequency. So to me, I could analyze this word with a little poetic license based upon this and say, "Come purge." And it's an act of magic. And the act of magic is to allow yourself to experience that ecstatic moment with the purring pleasure of a cat, but recognizing the alchemy that it requires a wizard to do it. I completely agree. And then I want to put myself in Gina's position and say, would you feel compersion if you were sharing your wife? Well, you asked that, and I happen to be an individual who's been in a polyamorous relationship with a partner for eight years prior to my wife. And I was occasionally the caliber of wizard, wizard, that could feel the compersion. Occasionally, occasionally, but it was hard. It required a higher level of wizardry, of a higher level of magic than I was fully capable of. But I was able, at my best, to be the wizard that could step inside and feel that compersion. So it is possible, but I'm not saying it's easy. Well, I ask that because I, I listened several days ago to part of a conference that included Jordan Peterson and a couple of women, I don't remember their names or their books, but one was talking about the sexual revolution, which was in my era um, in the 60s in Berkeley. And she described it as the first step in the transgender, transhumanist movement. And that um, the pill supposedly liberated women 
from pregnancy to be as um, free as men to enjoy sex, and yet it kind of goes against a woman's nature or many women's nature to be so cavalier about sex, to have it be so simply about friction and momentary pleasure. And she described a man who was experimenting with his beloved and uh, he entering a polyamory. And while she was with a man, he was vomiting in the bathroom. That it really is contrary to our nature and asking us to be other than how we are built. So anyway, I haven't explored it further, but... <laughs> well, you know, I, I think there's other ways that you could look at it. That's, uh, I respect that principle of thought, and I think that is certainly a part of culture, but it's, uh, it's actually false to say that that's the part of everyone's nature because there are many tribes if you read dr chris ryan's book sex at dawn there's many tribes that had different cultures and customs one of the tribes was the himba tribe and these were people who grew up on the land unconquered they didn't have ideas implanted they self-generated this idea and the idea was that the men would go out on long ranges of grazing their animals and the women would stay behind in the village and the men would take turns and there would be one man with a village full of women, and that man would sleep with all the women in the village while the other men were gone. And then they raised whatever child came from that, not by a genetic determination, but because everything was about the tribe and they were going to share everything anyways. It didn't matter so much, but this idea of heredity is very important. If you're passing land and title and wealth, you need to know whose genes it is. You need to know what name is going to make you a lord, and whether you're a bastard, a bastard, or someone who can't carry the name, can't carry the title, can't carry the inheritance. So there are elements of culture that I think are both natural, because certain monogamous patterns have arisen naturally, but certain other patterns have also arisen naturally, like the Eskimo people, which is where we get the term Eskimo brother. And why do we have the term Eskimo brother? That's somebody who you've also shared sexual relations with. We get that because the Eskimo chiefs, when there was another neighboring chief or a noble honored guest, they would offer their wife to sleep with the chief or the guest of honor that they wanted to honor. And that was part of the culture. In certain Tahitian cultures, they would have different lovemaking rituals that would happen as part of a healing process. So that thing, which could be reduced to just friction, can also be up-leveled to an access to magic. And so somebody who is sick would have the young people come and make love around them, creating a field of eros, a field of magic, that would actually enliven and awaken the life force of the person who is sick. So there are many different examples of how some of it can be said as natural and some of it could be said as ingrained by cultural structures. So I just want to offer that, you know, I respect all of those different opinions, but there's a diverse application of understanding. Clearly, I'm out of my native territory here. <laughs> Anyway, on to other things. 
So, okay, let's see where to go from here. Hers was, well, anyway, never mind. Um, so let me let me just go within and see where where we want I want to take this or well I, I think a good a good just kind of starting if you'll permit me to kind of navigate us into some other territory. I think what we've illuminated is that there are certain individual stories or perspectives that seem when somebody's presenting them is like, oh yeah, that's fully that makes sense. That makes total sense. But if you can actually adopt different frames, then you can see different possibilities and different stories that could develop. And there's many levels of basically meta-programming that exists. Some of it is in the language. Some of it is in also you know, the, the stories and the structure and the origin of why these structures exist. So really from the largest point of view what we're saying here is to understand the coding we're all subjects to the coding of our language the coding of our stories coding of all this what is native what is inborn and what is coded you know is also a question of worthy inquiry is this true in my body true all the way or is this part of my coding and conditioning and I think we're at a time now where we need to build a new story that involves and includes all a lot of different perspectives, allows us to bring awareness to our coding, both in language and in story, and see these processes and say, okay, I see these processes. Do I want to live a different story? Do I want to practice new coding? Or do I like the coding and the stories that exist? And can I, am I capable of transcending my coding? I said, you know, I was in it for eight years, barely at my best. I mean, I could think about the himba all the time, didn't mean that I could do it. You know, it was very difficult for me to actually change the coding because of what has been imprinted in me. But the process of changing the coding is something that I think globally we need to change our coding and our structure. And that doesn't just apply to relationships, it applies to everything. Like we have to become aware of the coding and the, and the structure and then decide, all right, what do we want to change and how could we possibly change it? Absolutely, thank you. So what I discovered from a lifetime of playing with words is that there is a meta story in the English language that reflects the cultural consciousness from which it emerged. And English has become the global language. So I'd like to share my word magic global anthem, which is called Taking Command of the English Language. All of us are instruments of powerful forces and of divine resources of which we have only the barest, if any, awareness. And language as the conveyor of consciousness and culture is one such force. Yet its course responds to our own dictation 
and many lives have been transformed through optimistic affirmations. So though the mystery of the word is beyond our ken, its power rests upon the tongue of nearly every human citizen of planet Earth. This means that we collectively can give the English language new life through rebirth. With high intention and heightened sensitivity to the electrifying activity of creative intelligence, we can amplify our receptivity to the eloquence of an airborne language of <clears throat> elevating metaphor never as yet heard before that will enable us to write anew our genesis as these uplifting words and metaphors emerge each succulent syllable may well coalesce to express new combinations of sounds and scents that turn a life once rife with strife into the fulfillment of God's highest intention. For as we flow this sanguine language into this dimension, our every word and phrase will begin to take flesh and to manifest into a grand new world of our own awakened heart's sublime invention. I think back about how random acts of kindness helped deliver us from our blindness and remind us of the sweetness that binds, refines, and completes us through our acts of spontaneous, miscellaneous giving and how these acts simultaneously elevate our sense of what we call really living since generosity generates prosperity when we give with an open heart and true sincerity. The perfection of strangers expressing affection in every direction began with the collection of a few choice words that suddenly occurred to a single individual and then stirred all others who heard it. To be the one to release the dove of peace on a wave of love that lifts us all above our usual sense of separation must surely be the cause for an ongoing celebration. For it is certainly an experience that lifts us well beyond words and beyond anything money could possibly buy. And yet it is free for all who wish to glorify God's living presence as our human essence and thus to bless the best in the rest of us. But speaking of money, have you heard the exhilarating word tourbillion? It means something resembling a whirlwind or a firework that rises spirally 
Ideally, we all could be tour billionaires with worlds of words that swirl the world's next revolution. And with a zillion vermilion tourbillions of word fire, we could inspire higher consciousness and grant our own absolution, both through updated adages and divine locution that blows the mind free of its slavery to the inherent blasphemy that still thunders through this language and now threatens to drag us under toward an ever more miserable yet totally unnecessary destiny. For though so few of us will ever win the lottery, every one of us could be the conduit for a lot of exotic vocabulary and for catalytic mottos that turn on the world. Can you even begin to imagine the cosmic voltage that will be released through our collective pyrotechnic linguistic revoltage? We could just about instantly blow out the circuitry on lies and hypocrisy. So we might not yet need to hold the keys to the halls of power. Because the word it is believed in many cultures sparked the big bang. And since English is the language that has rebuilt Babel's Tower, we can begin to set the stage and to reduce the world's afflictions by speaking out in healing words that can fulfill divine predictions. For since the word is known to have more lasting impact than the sword, and we're created in the image and the likeness of the Lord, it must be our divine assignment to help create world realignment through a retuning of our language to bring hearts into accord. So good. So, so, so good. I saw a little post of um, a pastor somewhere, and the pastor was explaining the word Yahweh, which is one of the first words. There's many words for God, and uh, Yahweh did some strange, fucked-up things in the story. But nonetheless, let's just take the name of God as it is. And he was expressing that it's actually the sound that we make when we breathe. Yeah, so, yeah. 
And it was really interesting because, as Matthias de Stefano will say, spirituality is spiritu, is breath. And in the Hebrew, neshama is also breath and also soul. So there's many different words and many different languages that are equating simply the act of breathing with divinity. And that breath itself, which is a symbol for life itself, that which is alive is that which breathes, right? Like that respiration, that breathing is actually the divine. And we have little clues that are pointing our way to say, like, what is spirituality? What is the divine? What is God? And could it be as simple as God is in every single breath, every inhale and every exhale? And every time we breathe, we're worshiping God. And the more consciously we breathe, the more conscious that prayer is to recognize the divine in, as, and through all things. And so I thought it was a very powerful understanding of that that coincides with many different things to recalibrate our notion of this judgmental father in the sky and saying, no, it's breath itself, it's life itself. You can't escape the worship of the divine lest you stop breathing. And then, but as long as you're here, you're in the active worship of life, of God, and all the same God. Everyone is worshiping the same God every time they breathe in all of these battles and all of these wars because I have a different God than you and my God is the awesome God and your God isn't and so I'm going to fucking kill you. So crazy. But if we could get to that universal understanding like it's okay if you have your ideas these ideas that you want to project on a figure which is usually a projection of our own judgmental nature of our own mind and but whatever if you want to make that your god that's fine but just remember we're all worshiping the same god and that god is called life and we say the god's name every time we breathe in and breathe out here's a little poem that sort of addresses that thank you so much <laughs> I mean, we're like fish waking up to the fact that we're swimming in water. Is there something? I was just laughing because he had the same demeanor as he did at about 12.30 p.m. last night when he was watching Dr. Fresh. <laughs> and he's still got a little bit of the buzz going right now. So that's our boy, Brent Pella. So I was just in amusement to uh, watching my friend deliver you that coconut water. <laughs> and I wanted to acknowledge my amusement by pointing to him. Well, I am grateful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So uh, when I was 20, I read in uh, a book called Phenomenon of Man by Teilhard de Chardin that if there wasn't the impulse to for union between cells that love couldn't appear between us in harmonized form. So love is the energy of synthesis throughout the universe. We are composed of it. We are woven of it. And I have um, with this, this is Gifts of Presence that is hot off the press. And Someone had asked me to write a piece 
someone in the early 90s to write a piece about everything wrong with the world and to make it funny. And so I did, and he printed it up and um, in a little uh, card that we sent to our clients. And the world has gotten progressively funnier. And so <laughs> I thought it was high time to publish it and to make it accessible with um, AI illustrations. I did try two human artists first, but no one could do what this did. And so it brings it to life, and I have that quote from Teilhard de Chardin in it. But what I wanted to share in response to all these different names of God, something here's something I entertained myself with it, with, um, that goes, in order for humanity to finally be at liberty, we must decide definitively to be or not to be. For within our answer to that question resides the fate to which we're destined. For free will states that by God's grace we'll pronounce our own sentence on the human race. And since the options left are exaltation or global excommunication, I thought it worthwhile to explore religious words and metaphor to understand and underscore what frees our hearts and makes our spirits soar. I found that since stupendous suspensions of logic befog a more rational discourse on doctrine and dogma, it's apt that we call our religions persuasions, for that's what it takes on so many occasions to adopt ideologies that make no apologies for taking verbatim metaphoric mythologies whose practical parables and concrete symbologies virtually beg us to view heaven like Las Vegas. <laughs> Thus, though pearly gates and many mansions represent our hearts and souls' expansion, the glitter of the literal interpretation so bewitching that many people seek the prophet, hoping it will be enriching. And I think perhaps I know the reason for such ungodly acts of treason. For when spirit crosses into the material dimension, it traverses through a mirror at the point of intersection, which reverses all appearances with absolute perfection, such that often we revere not the divine, but its reflection. Most often when we do not hear elusive echoes of intention, then our words with double meanings reinforce the false connection, thereby leaving us to wonder why our riches never satisfy. What really struck me in that other beautiful run of gorgeous poetry that just flows out of you like an like a 
inexorable wellspring. You said the word prophet, and then you equated what heaven is to like Las Vegas. Like there's this idea that there's going to be this moment, whether it's a jackpot or whether it's a, the prophet. It's like we're always looking for that moment where we get paid in full, right? And we're looking for the prophet. Oh, well, the prophet is going to come. The prophet is going to come. And we're actually often just worshiping and waiting for that prophet to come. I'm going to do this thing with this company. I'm going to win the lottery or the prophet is going to come and then make all of us profitable in our in our existence and i think we're all looking for the prophet in the wrong places because we're all absolutely abundantly wealthy in that which matters the most we're just calculating the wrong thing. We're calculating what we think a profit is, knowing that we're already as rich as we could possibly be as long as we're drawing breath, as long as we can you know, kiss our lover and hug our brother and taste the food and make love and dance and sing and use our voices. Like we're so already full of wealth, but instead we've been trained to look for a profit somewhere else outside of us when we're already as profitable as we'll ever be. So I turned success into an acronym, since everyone searches for success and could write it with, what is it, three or four S's, dollar signs. And so it, my understanding of success is serving universally by contributing creatively to the evolution of the sacred in society. So we are all successes, whether or not we have found the exchange rate between spiritual gold and monetary gold. We're on our way. And speaking of S, uh, my work is primarily known for the secret spells, but there are also sacred path words, and there are the 26 letters of the alphabet. And subscribers to my website receive my free book of E, a book of alphabet alchemy. And I think perhaps my, what can I say? One of my favorite poems is called Esoterica by Laurel Erica, a definitive exegesis on the letter S in verse. And the joke is that an exegesis is usually an in-depth analysis of a biblical passage. And this is an exegesis on a single letter of the alphabet. And... This single letter was excluded from alphabets, some alphabets in the past, because it looks like the serpent and Satan. So, with your permission, 
I will have to do hand signals to be able to illustrate where some of the words change. I do have an animation on my Patreon page to see the whole poem, but it goes this way. So much turns on the letter S, the serpent power we disavow that has the force to curse or bless, both to divest and to endow. S turns a he into a she, decides to be or not to be. For if the S did not exist, then all would exit and be missed. S can make a sword of words, which is why we quake near William Shakespeare. And something even more absurd, S makes the comic truly cosmic. And even worse, makes cures a curse. The ancients thought the S was cursed, since with one swipe, reveres reversed. The mere inane go quite insane, while potentates resign their reign. Yet still, they could not wipe S off the page. For S holds out the promise that with age, one may one day turn sage. Our laughter turns to slaughter when we think we've something to defend. So clearly, with more self-belief, we'd abrogate most forms of grief. We fear the S, that slippery snake whose cunning caused us to forsake the word of God and thus to take the chance that we might fall away. In essence, S has sourced our being because God is, I am, you are. And S facilitates our seeing the smallest speck, the furthest star. The sea, being mother of creation, thus seeds our sense of separation. So S is at the start of sin. Some think it beckons Satan in, since through the S we all possess, and by that standard gauge success. But those shadows do emerge from S. So does the sun and happiness, which seems to mean this serpentine insignias so sibylline that sour and sweet, both sugar and salt, are tossed upon its somersault till differences can't be distinguished. Yet, nor can they become extinguished. S, being special and essential, is both profane and reverential. Its range of change is so prodigious, 
from sacrosanct to sacrilegious, S brings us saints and saboteurs, our saviors and slaughterers, espionage, esprit d'accord, S makes our spirits soar and soar. So serpents cannot cause damnation, for S assures us sweet salvation. For as a snake can shed its skin, so S can be both yang and yin, both Satan and spirit from hell to divinity, for S twists exactly halfway to infinity. Since S so clearly turns both ways, it means the choice is fully ours. We must decide for suicide or reach within to touch the stars. The letter S as sorceress, once we've decided no or yes, makes our decisions manifest, though heretofore we've been hell-bent, the world is ours for just a cent. For S is cosmic catalyst of instant metamorphosis, and with a sudden turn or twist can bring a thing's antithesis. S multiplies the loaves and fishes, feminizes with its switches, and makes our lives far more delicious with sex and soul, our two great wishes. So let's re-SS our estimation of this symbol for our transformation. And let our prayers grow deep and fervent to turn the serpent into servant. Sit very still. Breathe deep. Unwind. Those serpents can't be left behind. As we awake, they climb our spine till we at last reach human kindness. Do you have one of those for every letter? Do you have one of those for every letter? I, I have one for I, and I've written the, the book of E. But no, I leave the other 23 for all of you. <laughs> when I meet 
you know, you meet certain people who come from a certain language. And I know I think we touched on this in, uh, in the prior podcast as well. But I just can't help. You know, I, I, I just met, uh, you know, some like Brasileiro, you know, Yawanawa, Yawanawa people. And they were so full of life and vibrancy and the language carries that. And, and I just, it seems that as you meet a culture, the language fits the culture in such a such a profound way and you know those people who have access to different cultures and different language often carry such deep wisdom because they're able to have the blend that kind of da vinci effect of two sets of coding that they can actually utilize as well and um it's would you suggest that people become in many ways bilingual not just to communicate to people who speak that language but also as like a coding the coding mechanism for your own mind like if you wanted to encode your own mind with more romance perhaps you want to learn french not just so you can go to paris and talk to the waiters but just so that actually you can see the world through different sounds. You know, do you think that would be a worthwhile practice for people to undertake? Absolutely. The French psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan said to have two languages is to have two souls because the word gives us our worldview. And the more languages you speak, the more the more diverse your worldview, the more you can see through the programming, the veil of illusion created by a particular culture. So absolutely, if you have time to invest yourself or were blessed to be born um, into a family where several languages were spoken and you learned them early on, that is a really wondrous thing. And years ago, I read a book by Diane Slattery called um, Xenolinguistics, Language, Psychedelics, and the Evolution of Consciousness. Some, that's an approximation. I looked at, at the front of the book uh, were drawings by um, the wife of Alex Gray, Alison Gray. There are these glyphs they, that evidently one encounters when on uh, mind-altering substances. And they were the very sorts of glyphs that I started spontaneously writing when I was 17. And I would note-take just more of a feeling nature. So I myself speak only one language. I didn't, I took French and I took Span. Uh, French and Italian, I was never much of a student. I had too much else going on um, to really apply myself, which I am sorry to say, but I compensated by going into depths in English because there's so much more than meets the eye and ear, or actually they do meet the eye and ear. We just primarily don't look at them. So my primary education, because I was not so interested in learning out of books, so I did some of that as well, but I just was educated by the English language. And there are a category of words that I call 
sacred passwords. And these are words um, that reflect our innate wisdom back to us. And for instance, a couple of those words have been seen and are frequently shared, which is disease as dis-ease and history as his story, the victor's telling of the tale rather than an actual accounting of events. And there are actually this quality of language, this feature, it's constantly echoing and reflecting us back to ourselves. So there are many of these sacred pathwords. And one of them, well, if there was lighting and you, we were equipped, everyone had pad and paper, if you wrote down eyes, ears, nose, mouth, chin, heart, and love, and started playing with those words, you would see how wordplay can turn a punster into a pundit. You become a wise philosopher just by seeing, for instance, that we have yes in our eyes, which must mean we are meant to see for ourselves. And see is another way of saying yes in another language. So it also puts our identity in the affirmative. And it says to me that we are meant to say yes to life. But then we have no in our nose. It's like our self-contradictory nature is written on our faces. So we have yes in our eyes. Another word for I not only is see, which is what we do with our eyes, another word for yes, but is I, A-Y-E, the eyes have it. So nose, um, so this is, I maybe I'm getting too far off course where you were going with your question. You can't get off course, Laura. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so we have no in our nose, which to me says, that you can't say yes to everything. We need discernment. Knowledge requires a nose for the news and to know when to say no. And another word for nay, for nose, is nay, N-A-Y, which is the French sound N-E-Z, for nose. So it's constantly echoing and reflecting us back to ourselves. I, I wrote a manuscript in 2005 called we do come with instructions, <laughs> and it's the ABCs of self-realization, and the sub-subtitle is an inveterate paranomasiac's nomology, which means an incurable punster's anthology of adages. <laughs> so we have yes in our eyes and no in our nose. And I was so surprised to see that we had out in our mouth, but that settled the question immediately. Life is not about consumption. It's about expression. And in fact, consumption was the name of the wasting disease of the early 20th century or tuberculosis. And yet it is the byword of our economic press prosperity. And we, we lowered in status from citizens to consumers. 
So out in our mouth, in in our chin, and I can only conclude that so that we don't have our nose stuck in the air. And we talk about a third eye, but there is obviously a third ear. And if you just turn to your heart and you see that at its core is ear, then you see that our third ear is in our heart. And when we put our ear to the earth and listen to our heart, then we become an oracle or the soothsayer. And very conveniently, I must say, the chambers of the heart are oracles and ventricles. And the outer rim of the ear is also called an oracle. So we are meant to be soothsayers. And the fires of transformation sear. They turn us into seers. They consume the dross so that the true nature, the gold within us, can come to the fore. And I like the fact that the word crucifixion has fiction in it, which to me says that every soul transcend its, transcends its crucifixion. We are meant to go through the dying and rebirth process, which we are watching occur to the empire that has gobbled up the globe and is so intent on destruction. And as we choose, as the letter S suggests, whom we shall serve, the divine nature or the senses, then we come to, into our noble metal, metal being a quality of mind and resilience in the face of the challenges we are confronting, that through our own nobility, noble, we're true to ourselves, we live in integrity, because that's our, our shield then we can become those islands of coherence that spread around the globe. If you're just out at a, like a cafe with somebody, having coffee with them, and you're just in conversation, do you just naturally slip into these... To these, <laughs> that is my wondrous webmaster, a man of many talents and trades, named Shane Dieter of Dieter Designs. A beautiful, gorgeous man, married to a beautiful, gorgeous woman. And thank you for that, Shane. So maybe you do actually. <laughs> I wanted to, uh, um, you invited me to read something, and as I was reading through it, it was incredibly powerful as we move to a close and get ready for some beautiful sound healing vibrations from my wife, Vailana, who, when she's singing, she doesn't use typically English words. She use, uses sounds. 
and the sounds convey a message that's even more powerful and affecting the brain in a way that is unbiased by the meanings that are associated with the words. And I think that's one of the gifts that she offers is she's allowing herself to be a transmission of sound. And so we're all going to get to experience that here shortly. But I wanted to read this little piece that you wrote on Ascension. Here it is at your invitation and suggestion. Shot full of light, a vision of ascension. What if you couldn't do it right, but you couldn't get it wrong? What if at this point everything works together for good, no matter how messed up it appears in the moment? What if the magnetism for wholeness and holiness is now so strong that all the broken pieces are compelled to come together in a new configuration that inspires higher consciousness? What if hearts leapt into mouths and only truths and kindness could be spoken? What if a healing calm arose and flowed around the globe like golden flower pollen through fear and separation? were intended, though fear and separation were intended to be engendered? What if trust comes over us like a gentle yet persistent rain in the face of apparent disaster because of our supernatural awareness of a greater order of being now unfolding into expression and each person becomes a pillar for an inner temple arising from the earth and Eden preparedness spreads from soul to soul like blankets at a grand picnic, and hallelujahs are heard from the throats of birds, and outer structures of oppression fall like the thin plaster of a struck stage set, and no one needs validation ever again for their existence since Mary is the mother of us all. And what if the desire to be of service in the world overtakes us with the urgency of sexual desire such that we are drawn to join together in the mutual pleasuring of loving kindness extended and exchanged and no one feels higher or lower because everyone feels better and safer having awakened to the presence of angels all around us. Then wisdom hits the ground running and walking, skipping and jumping, and we all take up arms to embrace each other, and hearts melt and fill the streets and alleyways with the fragrance akin to red cinnamon chocolate. And so much love coheres together that no one knows whose is whose, and we can't help but stir and spur all of those around us, even though it's totally unnecessary, because each of us is blessed to be our own best, almost involuntarily, since we're all impressed with this same potent sacred energy that is giving birth through us to a wholly new creation. And because we all know we are a gift from Source, we take exquisite pleasure in giving ourselves to others. For we recognize the faces that we see on perfect strangers as the ones we once beheld in the mirrors of our waking dreams. Thus everyone is pardoned for forgetting who they were to begin with and for thinking they had to get for themselves 
instead of giving of themselves to get to the deep well of wellness awaiting within us. And in beholding the precious, priceless treasures that we find in one another, we are instantly touched and transformed. Thus we speak in one voice with the inner sense that comes out of the mouth of babes, and sweetness is on the tip of every tongue, and then in a flash, we are, we are shot full of light and wings. What a beautiful, beautiful blessing that is you know, for all of us and for all of you who are gathered here to just also remember you know, why we're here, what we're doing what this new story looks like. And it's a new story that includes everyone in the whole circle. And we're going to have to get there because the moment you draw that line and you put somebody outside of the circle and you make them an other, then that other is going to go at war with this other and we're constantly going to be in greater division with each other. So thank you for this living invitation to understand our coding understand our source understand the truth and understand how to navigate through this matrix and lead ourselves to that more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible our hearts know it's possible because we're listening and we can hear hear the first four letters of the word heart we can hear the more beautiful world we know it to be true that's why our hearts know it's possible because we hear the whisper the lahisha as the hebrew word is the whisper saying there's something more there's something possible and you builders here are helping to build that so a deep bow to all of you a deep bow to you laurel it's always such an absolute delight to be in your presence and I'm sure everybody here also experienced that deep delight. All right. Is there any passing thing, any final thing you would like to say? Or should we invite the healing sounds of Ilana after a nice... Uh, luxurious restroom break that we all may need in our rehydration uh, campaign. <laughs> Thank you for that invitation. Then I will just do a quick little anthem for our era called Speaking Beauty. We are godlings on this planet here because we all pre-planned it. Ghastly, ghostly shadows, damn it. Now's our chance to superman it. <laughs> Lift your voices, re-enchant it. Freedom's codes are all semantic. Though we're small and sometimes frantic, souls are whole and all gigantic. These may be our darkest hours. Yet each of us has superpowers. The infinite is infinite, which means we can turn on the light. 
All life's a dream, and we're the dreamers. Though hate's streaming through the schemers, we're all here as world redeemers, beaming peace. We're love supremers. So mages, sorceresses, sages, artists of all sorts and ages, share your gifts now. Be courageous. Daring actions are contagious. A diamond mind and heart of gold are gifts the prophecies foretold for those uniting souls on earth by honoring each being's full worth. When we let go of againstness, we step into our immenseness. For the genesis of genius is the light we strike between us when we share the gifts with which we're blessed to inspire higher consciousness. Then we'll gain what we've been dreaming of, the gift of everlasting love, the bliss of everlasting love. Kiss of everlasting love. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope it awakens some thoughts about how to use our beautiful language. I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.